Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. I love that. If I haven't met you, I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here. Welcome to all of you worshiping with us online. Uh, this service and all of you who've gathered here. I, th- that video came out about three weeks ago when I saw it. I said, no, I, got, I just have to show this. We can't get around the Christmas carol if you haven't noticed it. It's been reproduced 135 times on film and TV. Over 130 actors are playing it, not counting the cartoon characters or the riffs that have been done on that story. Um, two ballets have been done around Dickens' works. Four operas including one called The Passion of Scrooge. They can't avoid the spiritual language of this story and the transformation that takes place. In fact, the Victorians, when it first came out, Dickens wrote it in six weeks. Um, He got so caught up in it that his biographer, John Forrester, who was his agent and his financial advisor and his manager of marketing, said something happened to him when he wrote this story. I could hear him in this brief time writing and writing. He wept loudly. He laughed boldly. He wept again. Something in the story took a hold of his heart, and he presented it. But what if Ebenezer Scrooge, this iconic character that we've come to understand and know for 180 years now, since its first publication on December 19th, 1843, in which it's completely sold out in five days by Christmas Eve, what something about this character touches us, it, it gets to us, we, we wonder about. But what if Ebenezer Scrooge had known the joy of Christmas that Egypt Speak told us about? You mean there's one that's paid my debts? You mean there's one that's done the heavy lifting? You mean a child born into poverty in a manger could be Christ the Lord? Could be the one to, to, that the whole government would rest on his shoulders And he might be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. How many know we need a Prince of Peace in our world right now? And we're never, ever going to elect one. God gave one to rule over all the kingdoms of this earth. If Ebenezer Scrooge had become, had been a Christian, we found out they wouldn't have had enough material to make a movie. It would have been over in four minutes. No skeletons in the closet, no dead things in the past. Jesus has taken my past. Nothing to haunt me, nothing to be afraid of in the present, nothing to fear in the future. If Ebenezer Scrooge had done that, there would have been no material. And and people have debated, literary critics, why did Dickens create this iconic character? In fact, T.S. Eliot wrote about Dickens, said he had this gift of characterization. Whether it was Oliver Twist or David Copperfield or Ebenezer Scrooge, he presented his his characters in this multidimensional way that you felt what they felt, that you could see what they saw. This is before AI and, and special effects when it was just words on a page and 
And one scholar said that, that we aren't just supposed to look at Ebenezer Scrooge. We're to understand that we are Ebenezer Scrooge. There's, there's something in each of us that misses the joys. This, this writer wrote this. He said, Dickens creates this profound character that we might not rather scorn him, but he invites us to be him because we are him. There's a little Scrooge in all of us that's so mired in our own problems, in our own regrets, that we make ourselves miserable. And in that misery, we're blind to our own ability to make a positive difference in the world. The transformation that we see him undertake in this story is one we yearn for and one that can draw us in. Every one of us has to make some form of this Scrooge transformation in our lives. We have to stop what we're doing, recognize that we're making ourselves miserable with our own bad attitudes and snap out of it. He's a secular writer, and even he says, in our own lives, maybe right now, we're the grouchy, embittered soul who needs a wake-up call that life is just too short, and there's joy around us if we're willing to open our eyes and see it. Miroslav Volf, who's a great theologian, put a theological spin on that. He said that we become Scrooges because all of us feel even the blessings of God that we deserve them that we're even entitled to them. And so we're always grouchy, even if we get them, because, by the way, I was owed it. And God forbid I get trouble instead of triumph. Then I have nothing to carry me through. And all that led me to understand that in the midst of the Christmas story, the real Christmas story, is an almost Scrooge. One who almost became Scrooge, but the joy and the promises of Christmas intervened and his attitude lasted four minutes. And it's Joseph, right? Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. It said Joseph that first Christmas, he wasn't uh, saying with his wife Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord. He wasn't out with the angels singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill. Joseph was brokenhearted. He was in deep grief. He had felt betrayed by the most intimate person in his life, his wife. They were betrothed in that day and age. You were legally married. You just had not consummated the marriage yet. And I always try to envision what that first conversation must have been like. Can you imagine it? I mean, Joseph, I mean, he's 18 tops. Mary's 13 or 14. They're two scared teenagers. But Joseph had to say something like that, like, now, Mary, you had to sleep with somebody. Oh, 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 the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I heard he moved in two doors down. <laughs> Joseph is, he's, 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 in a, he's in a mess. But Christmas comes. He was on his way to becoming bitter and bruised for his entire life. And just like Ebenezer Scrooge, who we learned was left in an orphanage and in a boarding school and nobody to come and celebrate Christmas with him. But because he didn't have that joy of the promise of the gospel with him of Jesus, it, that misery turned into a lifetime of misery and spilled out on others. But Joseph, he got rescued by the joy of Christmas. And he became an almost Scrooge, not a real Scrooge. Now, nobody, nobody talks a lot about Joseph in the story. In fact, he's only in the Gospels for two chapters. He only shows up at Christmas, you know, uh, uh, and, and one story later. 
Tradition says that Joseph died when Jesus was 18 years old. We, we don't know that, but we know he died sometime before uh, Jesus' public ministry. But Joseph, you know, I found a Joseph in the news for this Christmas. Did you know that Phantom of the Opera was the longest-running play in the history of Broadway? Did you, know, did you know that his final show took place this year? On April 16th, 2023, they ended up over a 35-year run. Uh, the, the pandemic kind of finally put them out of business. They had such a production. If you've seen it, my wife and I had the privilege two years and years ago. It was a phenomenon, Broadway. All these lights and action and theater. But as the attendance declined, they just couldn't do it any longer. But 35 years. And, and that last night on April 16th, Andrew Lloyd Webber gave credit to a lot of people. But he gave credit to somebody nobody would heard of. He said, Phantom has shined brightly on Broadway for 35 years because of the work of Alan Lample. Now, raise your hand if you heard of Alan Lample. Okay, like me. Did one person... Re- no, I'm kidding. You know, nobody knows Alan Lample. Alan Lample, of the 13,981 shows of The Phantom, attended 13,000 of them. He said that he'd seen Phantom of the Opera more than any person in history of the world. He never bought a ticket. He never made it on stage. See, Alan Lample was the head uh, electrician for Phantom of the Opera. There he is. He didn't go on stage. He didn't hear applause. He just sat for 13,000 shows in his electric booth back there, making sure the lights stayed on. And that was so important work. That, that reminds me of Joseph. You know, Mary, the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, they all got on stage. They had curtain calls. Everybody puts them on Christmas cards. But Joseph just stands in the background and keeps the lights on and keeps the story moving. And he never got bitter and he never caved in. And I love what Matthew said. It said, now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. Not, not with angels, Luke will tell that. Not with wise men and magi and gold and frankincense and myrrh. That'll come later. Not with deck the halls with boughs of holly, falalala, whatever. But with one broken, bruised person in the midst of a crisis. Somebody got in the back. Did you hear that? <laughs> Somebody said, a little child will lead us. Hello. Are your eyes open? Right? That's how it started. It started in this way. And I learned something in history. I didn't know this. In the Catholic tradition, in some corners of it, they have something they call that they do a service seven, seven Sundays with high liturgy called the seven sorrows and the seven joys of St. Joseph, of Joseph. That's an icon there of Joseph and Jesus in the center. And all of this joys and sorrows sorrows and accompanying joys that he goes through. Just real briefly, his first joy, or his, I'm sorry, his first sorrow is the sorrow we hear in the story, the sorrow of a broken heart, the regret of, of betrayal. But that sorrow leads to the first joy. The first joy, they say in this service, is the message of Christmas, that, that in the midst of his hurt and his bitterness and his despair, He hears the message, there's more to this child than you see, Joseph. This child is of God. This child is God. This child is older than you. 
Jesus was the first child in the history of the world ever born who was older than his parents. But he'd come in with purpose. And Joseph heard that message of Emmanuel that no matter how hard, much you're hurting, Joseph, God will always be with you because of this child. So in the midst of his first sorrow, he gets a first joy. And the second sorrow is the night Mary gives birth. She gives birth alone. There was, we know, no room for them. We always say no room in the inn. That's a bad translation. Bethlehem had about 30 houses in it. They didn't have a holiday inn. The word inn in the Greek literally means guest room. When Joseph got there to Bethlehem, he would have gone to his family's house, and there would always be a guest room. But there was no room in the guest room because 12 of his siblings and their spouses and kids had already arrived. And so where were they to go except down in the cave, the barn where the animals went below the house? And Joseph is there, and Mary has to swaddle her own child, something no Jewish woman would have ever done. They're utterly alone, and his son being born, his firstborn in an animal feed box. And Joseph feels like every man or woman, parent, financial leader in their own home feels, what have I done to take care of my family? And he experiences the, the, the sorrow of poverty. And I don't care what every, any politician or other leader or preacher tells you. No one in the history of the world has chosen to be in poverty. Nobody has gotten in poverty simply because of their own works. That poverty has happened as a, as a plague upon this planet that God never desired. In fact, if you read Deuteronomy 15, I don't have time to preach on it. God said, if you just live the way I'm telling you to live, there will never be a class known as the poor among you. We have broken it. And Joseph is experiencing the poverty of not being able to provide and of a, and of a, a sorrow of that and then the church would say, but there's the second joy to go with the second sorrow. Jesus comes anyways. He becomes a first-time father. And any of you who've been a first-time parent, it really doesn't matter what's happening in the world around you. <laughs> the world is right in that moment. And then comes the third sorrow. When Jesus is eight days old, he's to be taken to a mohel for circumcision. Now, in that day and age, there was no anesthesia. The father presented their child for circumcision. And you was a parent taking your child knowing that they were going to experience pain. And this is the pain of every parent who's ever been, know that they can't prevent pain from affecting their children and when their children are in crisis, or as we went through recently with a child with serious surgery, who's here tonight, by the way. Thank you, Jesus. Um, when we experience that, every parent feels helpless. Have you ever felt that? Joseph felt it, and it was a third sorrow. But right after that, there was a third joy, because after the child is circumcised, it was the father that gave him the name. And he did as the angel said. He gave him a name above all names. This is Jesus who will rescue us from our sins. And then there's the fourth sorrow when Joseph shows up to dedicate Jesus at the temple. We find it in Luke chapter 2. Uh, Pastor Steve will be preaching on that the Sunday after uh, today. And, and it's when they would go up 33 days old if you were a boy, 66 days if you were a, a young girl. Um, you know, women are always the men are the rough draft. Women are the perfected project. So you got to give them a little more time, like fine wine. Boys, you can just throw them out there because they're not going to get any smarter than they were. 
And so there he comes, and they go up. And there was, a, there was a, a rule in the law. If you present a boy, this was to present God, your child back to God. This was your way of dedicating and saying uh, that only God, I can entrust this child to God because only their heavenly parent can do for them what I cannot do in a world of sin and death. And if you present a boy, you were to, you were to sacrifice a lamb. But if you were absolutely in abjunct poverty, you could bring two birds, and Joseph and Mary bring two birds. And it's supposed to be a joyful occasion, but at that moment, Simeon shows up and says, I need to tell you something. This child is going to go through terrible tragedy, and a sword is going to pierce your heart. Oh, wow. This is a moment of joy. Can you imagine some of you have brought your children to me or to Pastor Terry or others in this church where we're to dedicate them to God or, or baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit? And can you imagine you coming up with your child and all the joy and you just bought their clothes and you prevent them to me and I say, you know, your child's not going to live very long and you're going to go through a lot of pain. What would you do? Find a new church, right? That's what happened to them. But what was the joy that Simeon said, but this child will be the light to all nations and will bring redemption into the world. And Joseph knew his child had purpose. The fifth uh, uh, sorrow was Herod seeks to kill your child. Go out now. Go to Egypt. Be on the run. And they had to leave Bethlehem. And I've been there, and some of you have gone with me. I've been there five times. The Judean wilderness outside of Bethlehem is hard for grown men in survival suits to survive, let alone a young couple with a newborn. And now they're political refugees. They're on the run. They're, they're undocumented. And they're going to the, a place they don't know. How will they be received? And their joy is Egypt receives them with open arms and welcomes them. And they know the joy that Jesus talked about when he said, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. And you took me in. The, the sixth sorrow is finally when they were able to go home, Joseph wanted to go back to Bethlehem with his family. But an angel warned him again and said, look, King Herod is dead, but his son Archelaus is as evil as he was. You're not safe there. So he had to go to Galilee. He had to go to Mary's town of Nazareth. Joseph didn't have any ends with the carpentry union in Nazareth. He didn't have a way to get a job. He was broken. But the joy was, the, the old church would say, but he had life with Jesus. And Jesus grew up in Galilee, and it was such a healthy home that 90% of Jesus' earthly ministry was done in Galilee. They didn't end up where they chose to be, but they ended up what they were supposed to be. And in the midst of that sorrow, they experienced joy. The last and the seventh sorrow was when they went up to the temple, as I said, to present uh, uh, Jesus, or no, at 12 years old, they went to Passover, a celebration that lasted weeks. It was Christmas and Easter all rolled into one, and they had the celebration, and they had great joy, and then they were a day and a half out of town. Mary was traveling with the women. Joseph was traveling with the men, and when they got together a day and a half out, Mary said to Joseph, where's Jesus? And Joseph said, I thought you had him. Anybody see Home Alone? It had to be, Jesus, we lost him. And they had an added pressure. They didn't just lose their child. They lost the son of God. That had to weigh upon their hearts. So it was a sorrow, and they went back into Jerusalem, and they searched for him for 30 day, three days. Can you imagine? You search for your child for 30 minutes, you're in terror. Three days, and then they found him. 
and they experienced joy. On the way to service tonight, Terry and I were driving out, and an Amber Alert went off in my car. And I remember that some parents don't ever find their children. And Joseph did, and he experienced joy. And the Christmas story is that, that joy See, ha- joy is not happiness. We've preached on that. Happiness is happenstance. It's what's, what happens to you. But joy is a condition that you can find faith and stability that Joseph found even in the midst of sorrow. Happiness can't live with sorrow, but joy can. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Joseph had joy. And it's what enabled him to not become a Scrooge and what's enabled him to keep the lights of faith on in his life and, in, and just steward this incredible message knowing that the angel said, God is with you, Joseph. He's with you. I, I've had some experiences in my own life when, when I realized that, that that word is sometimes enough. In Israel, on one of the tours, and when I've gone there, some of you have experienced that. We baptize or we allow people to reaffirm their baptism in the Jordan River, right where Jesus was baptized, down by Jericho. And it's an it's amazing place because there's the Jordan River and there's kind of like those swimming pool dividers because Christians from all over the world are coming to, to Israel, to this place, to reaffirm their baptism vows where Jesus was baptized. But on the other side is Jordan. And Jordan is a a Middle Eastern country uh, that is very friendly to Christians, even though they're primarily Muslim. And so any Muslims in the Middle East that aren't safe proclaiming Christ in their place will come to the Jordan to be baptized on the other side. So here we are baptizing one side, and here are others from Iraq and Iran and and sometimes the Sudan, and they're being baptized 30 feet from you. in one time, there was a man got up and gave his testimony, and he spoke so boldly that all of us on the Christian side just hushed. And I went back and looked at the tape because somebody was filming it to make sure I got it right. And this is what he said. I was born a Muslim in Iraq. It was time of war, and I was worried and depressed. And I was sitting and looking at the Tigris River in my city. A face appeared to me in the water that I knew was Jesus. The Muslims hold Jesus in high regard, by the way. There's an empty tomb by Muhammad, if you didn't know, because they're waiting for Jesus to return. He said, I knew that face was Jesus. And he told me, my child, you're not alone. Now I give my life to Christ because I'm a Christian. I pray every day at the edge of that river, thank you, Jesus, for this grace. I'm not alone right now. Lord Jesus, you are with me. Sometimes just knowing that God is with us, it's enough. It can give us that joy and that fortitude to go the distance. And when we receive joy, we can give joy. As we receive joy, joy can then flow out of us. Just like hurt people hurt people, misery and, and, and abuse can flow out of us, so can joy. So can this incredible joy, that joy to the world, the Lord had come. And I always get my best Christmas stories from last year. I got Two, three minutes left, and I'm going to close with this story. Your best Christmas stories, you always find out the year later, right? Because nobody talks about them until after Christmas. So every Christmas Eve, like for this year, I pull out all the stories I saved from last year. And there was an incredible story uh, in the Washington Post by a beat writer called Sidney Page. And she said, one neighbor shared joy, and the whole neighborhood followed suit. What had happened, it was just north of the Baltimore line, in, in a neighborhood called Rogers Forge. 
Rogers Forge is that kind of neighborhood where everybody sits on their front porch on Halloween and celebrates with the kids and they talk to each other. They watch out for their kids at the school buses. They stop in their driveways and talk to one another. And there was a woman named Kim Morton, 49 years old. She and her husband and her family were going through a horrible time after Thanksgiving. One of their closest loved ones had died. Kim was the primary wage earner and she had lost her job a day earlier. And she was in deep depression, and this depression led her into panic attacks. And some in her neighborhood knew what Kim was going through. And one guy across the street, her neighbor named Matt Riggs, one night Kim said, I was watching a movie with my daughter, feeling down the dumps. And she said it was three weeks before Christmas. And my neighbor Matt texted me and said, look out your window. And what Matt had done is as Christmas lights on his house, he had gone up over the trees and he extended his lights so that it would touch his neighbor's lights across the street. And he and his wife left a tin of homebake cookies at her door. And he said, Matt said this in that interview. He said, I knew my neighbor was facing a dark time and I was just reaching out to Kim to literally brighten her world. Kim said that moment gave her the first hope and the first joy that she received. Now, that would have been a miracle by itself, amen? But what happened next was even bigger. Every neighbor in the neighborhood decided to follow suit. It's house to house and across the street. They strung lights and they said they were looking for a connection. Riggs said, what blows my mind is I just did for one neighbor and all this wasn't planned. It just happened. There was no planning. It grew out of everybody's desire for beauty, connection, and watch this, joy. It turns out, he said, we all needed this. One neighbor, Lisa DiMuzio, went even an extra mile. She and her wife had been in the neighborhood for less than a year, and they weren't sure in the current culture if they really were embraced or accepted in that community. She wrote that we were starting to look for a bigger house with more space and a bigger yard to kind of go move into ourselves. But when those lights went up, we decided you couldn't drag us out of here with horses. So she stayed up all night, and she twisted coat hangers, and she created a very special one. This is a picture of that community on Christmas Eve, and that was Melissa's house that said, love lives here. For Joseph, that was enough. That in the midst of his hurt and fear and rejection and seven sorrows, just the message of the angel, God is with you. He's not forgotten you. And Jesus says that to all of us today. I came into the world not just once and for all. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We, we have people that hang around us when things are going well. How many stay in there even to the end of it all? And Jesus said, that's the kind of friend that I am. I'm there for you to go the distance. And he taught his disciples in John 15 the gospel. And at the end of that, after he had taught it, I love this term, Jesus said to them, I've said these things to you so my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. In the Hebrew, or the Greek, it literally says that your joy may be made full. So from all of us here at Garfield Memorial, not just Merry Christmas, Merry can come and go, eat, drink, and be merry. Not just happy holidays, happiness is what happens to you. Neither one of those is biblical. But here's one that is. May you have a joy, full 
Christmas because God is with you even to the end. Amen? And today we want to build our own little neighborhood. Let's build our own neighborhood of light. You received a candle when you came in here. The, the, our leaders are going to lift up for us a silent night. We'll sing it together, and then we'll go out with joyous singing. But as they do that, I'm going to invite you, all. some of you are jumping the gun. Wait for the leader. I am the all and powerful Oz. No, I'm just kidding. Well, let's do it this way. As the music begins, let's start lighting it row by row. Can we do that? When you see the row in front of you light, then you light yours. And we'll look around as this happens, and we'll think of that neighborhood where love lives, where neighbors don't seek to hurt one another. But because we've received the joy, we pass that light on to one another. Amen? So let's, those, let's stand together in the front row. If you'd begin with us, let's begin to light our candles together.